0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see all of you on the Sunday morning. Um, as uh, I think was mentioned earlier, but we are going to be taking the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. We do have access to the elements, the bread and the wine. So if you uh, did not get one, it will be in the table in the back and you can feel free to get that after the message. Um, again, I'm looking forward to our Membership Matters class. For those of you who are interested, look forward to get to know you. And as Pastor Sam mentioned... Uh, it's not obligated for you to keep doing it if you, su- if you actually attend that first meeting, but if you want to know more about membership, we do encourage you to come to that. And yeah, the membership meeting, it's going to be great. Uh, I know the constitution is something that a lot of us, we may not be uh, even aware of, but we are planning to send you our members uh, a little bit more background about what that is and explain through the relevant parts of it in our members' meeting. So look forward to that. If you're visiting us for the first time... Uh, We're glad you could join us today. Our church actually went through a sermon series through the book of Nehemiah to help us to get reestablished as our church regathered. And then last week we had our brother uh, Daniel Shim, who is our college director. He gave a message on the importance of choosing joy. And I heard a lot of people give great feedback on how that was such a timely message for our church. Uh, Today we're starting off a... New sermon series, and to kick it off, we're actually going to be looking at the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark. And so, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Mark chapter 3, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up there behind me on the screen, but we will keep referring to this passage. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at just a few verses in chapter uh, 3, verse 31, all the way to verse 35. And we'll be unpacking what these verses mean for us and our church, especially as we start this new series. So, Mark chapter 3. Verses 31 to 35, a little bit of context. Jesus, he is traveling, doing ministry. And here in verse 31, he is actually sitting down with a group of followers, teaching them. And verse 31, we see uh, an event happens. And so if you're there with me, starting verse 31, it reads, And he, meaning Jesus, Jesus' mother and his brothers, they came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the reading of God's word. One of the most challenging things that happened during the pandemic that I mentioned several times when we met online over Zoom is how the pandemic this past year, it paused everything. Uh, For a lot of us, we had traveling plans that seems like we are compensating for because a lot of people are traveling these days and the reason why is because the pandemic caused a lot of our travel plans to stop. Graduations, for all of you who are college students, a lot of the graduations paused. I heard a lot of universities, they were actually planning to have a graduation ceremony for the previous year seniors coming up soon. How sad, how discouraging, and yet they're trying to make up for that. Uh, And another thing that I know for me that got affected a lot, at least when I saw in the life of our church, are weddings. A lot of weddings got paused this past year as well. In fact, a lot of couples who got engaged, they didn't set a wedding date for a long time because they thought the pandemic would be over soon. But as soon as it became from weeks to months to maybe even over a year, a lot of engaged couples, they had what's known as a COVID wedding. If you don't know what a COVID wedding is, it's pretty much they either got married in the courthouse and they try to get legally married. Where it's just a couple and it's somebody who is in the courthouse who legally marries them. Or they got married in a very small private ceremony with just their close family and friends. Now what's interesting is when I talk to some of these couples, some of them feel fine, but other couples they feel a little awkward after getting married in a small covid wedding. And the reason why they feel awkward is because even though they're legally married and they're living together, a lot of people will still go up to them going, "Oh, are you guys married?" And they don't know how to answer that. They're like, "Well, technically, we didn't have like a wedding yet, but it's like this weird awkward moment for them." And so a lot of couples, they're planning to have a public wedding ceremony, which is pretty much like, hey, everybody, we're married. They want just everybody to know a public announcement that we are now married together and officially announce their marriage. Now, in a similar way, I think our church went through something similar. If you're part of our church, you might know this. If you're new to our church, a little bit of context of what our church is. Our church, we actually started as a replant back in 2019, and we plan to come together and restart this church. And it was actually really uh, exciting times at that time, back in 2019. And we're going to publicly launch as a church where we swear in our members and say, hey, here here we are, church. But then the pandemic took place and caused everything to pause. And so all of 2020, our church met online. And we had what was uh, what I always describe as a COVID church wedding, where we met online and we swore in our first members And uh, it kind of, ever since then, our church, I always joke, say, it kind of feels like this. Uh, If it's a household, this is what the church feels like. It feels like we're living in a household, but, you know, what's going on here? What's going on in this house? Uh, Because in one sense, our church, we're together. We've uh, technically replanted. We're functioning as a church. But I get pastors tell me all the time, like, hey, did you replant yet? Is your church a replant? And was like, oh, like, yeah, we haven't ever officially announced it. It's always been just this online thing. And so what happened was we started regathering in 2021 in in July. And what we plan to do is actually in January 2022, we want to publicly launch. We want to have a public wedding ceremony as a church. And like a lot of wedding couples, that means we'll have a new church name. That means we'll have an Instagram account to show off who our church is. Uh, And our hope is that by then, our church will go from that picture that I showed you before to this. It will feel more like, ah, this is home. This is a church. This is what our church community is. But before we actually publicly launch as a church, one question that I think is worth asking is, well, what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a church? What is it supposed to look like to be a church? When you think of church, what comes in your mind? What image comes in your brain? How would you define what church is to somebody? Many of us, we think of a building it's a place we go to. Some of us, we think of it as a Sunday experience. It's somewhere where I experience something together with people. However, one thing our church staff says often is that our church, it's not a building. It's not a weekend experience. The church is a people. The church is a people. But the question is, is what kind of people are we? It's not just any type of people, but how does the Bible describe the church? And how the people relate to one another. And there's a lot of descriptions that are used in the Bible, but I would argue that the main description, the first description, the predominant metaphor that is used throughout the New Testament to describe what the church is, is this word, family. The church is family. This is the word that Jesus uses to describe the church, what the New Testament uses to describe the church, is this what you use to describe your church? Now, I don't know about you, but when you think of this idea that the church is family, there might be a lot of baggage with that, right? For some of you, this sounds familiar. You went to a youth retreat where the theme was family. And so you know, yeah, I get that. For some of you, it might sound overly sentimental. Like you go, oh, like Fast and Furious. Is that how it's like? Family? Like we're family? That's the idea that we have? Or for some of us, it might even be skeptical. It's like, yeah, Okay. I guess we're, yeah, you could say we're family, but not really. Not really. I've been in part of churches that have said that, and yeah, I don't really see that here. So a lot of us, there's a lot of baggage when it comes to family. But what I could ask or ask of our church today is that we could kind of take a moment to pause and really re-examine, well, what does Jesus say when he talks about the church being family? Because it's not something that pastors make up. It's not something that the 21st century churches are talking about. Jesus is the one to describe the church as family. And when we actually see what Jesus meant when he describes the church as you're meant to be a family, we're going to realize how radical this idea was. Because when the church is family, what we're going to see is the church is meant to be this life-transforming entity in your life. Not just something you go to, but it's supposed to be a life transforming entity in you. And it's something that the world Desperately needs. The church being a family is something that we need, that the world needs, and that's why Jesus calls it a family. But what does that mean? What does that actually look like? And so, as we prepare as a church to be a church, we're going to spend the next few weeks going through a series describing what it looks like for the church to be family. And today, what we're going to do is more of an introduction, where we're going to look at the first time Jesus uses the metaphor of family to describe his followers in the gospel of mark chapter 3 and this is the perfect sunday to do it because right after we're done with the message we'll practice as a family the lord's supper and share a meal together as a family and so in order to understand what this means we're going to talk about three things looking at the gospel of mark number one what jesus means for the church to be family what does jesus mean when he says that number two Why we need the church to be family. Why you and I, we need the church to be family. And number three, how we live out Jesus' vision for the church to be family. How do we actually do this? So what it means, why we need this, how we do this. First, what Jesus means for the church to be family. So the context of the gospel of Mark that we just read in chapter 3, Jesus, he is uh, doing every parent's worst nightmare. He grew up as a carpenter, but he decides, I'm going to be a preacher And it's like, oh, gosh. And so Jesus went and he became a preacher. He is traveling around in Galilee. And his ministry is starting off with a bang. In the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus, he is teaching, performing miracles. He's getting to disputes with the religious leaders. But great crowds were following him. If he had a social media account, he'd have a lot of followers right now at this time. And so what happens is in the beginning of his ministry, in chapter 3 of Mark, what we see is Jesus is continuing his ministry. He's in a setting kind of like this where we have people around and he is teaching them. Great crowds, we're told, are sitting around him. And all of a sudden, we're told Jesus' family comes to talk to him. For the first time in Mark, we see Jesus' family comes. In verse 31, it says, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. Right now, if somebody came to the back in front of me with a sign saying, hey, Bob wants to talk to you, Tom, right now, what I'll do, i would be like, what? You know, I'll probably like say, I'll talk to him later. Like that's, that'll be like in my brain, like, I'll talk to him later after this time is done. But if someone came with a sign saying, your wife and your kids, they need to talk to you right now, I'll be like, let's close in prayer. We must close in prayer right now. Why? Because I know that when those who are relationally close to me When they demand my attention, I will stop everything in order to pay attention to that. I will pause everything to go and meet their needs. And most often, who those people are, it's family. It's usually family that we'll do that for. But what's interesting is the same thing happens to Jesus. They go, hey, Jesus, you're in the middle of something, but your mom's here. Your brothers are here. They need to talk to you. And not only does Jesus not stop... But he has a very interesting response. Verses 32 to 33. Look what it says. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you." And Jesus answered them, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" Whoa, that's crazy. It's like if someone—it's like if someone said, "Hey, your mom, your wife, and your kids are here." I'm like, "Who are my wife and my kids? Who are they?" Sounds insulting. Sounds very disrespectful. Why is Jesus responding this way? And to answer that question, we must ask first, why was Jesus' family even trying to talk to him? Why are they even doing this? Remember the context. Jesus is the beginning of his ministry. He's causing a lot of ruckus with the, the controversies that he's doing, the religious leaders, the miracles, and so forth. And there's likely a lot of stories taking place. It's like if you have a kid and he goes off to college, and you hear, like, hey, you hear about your son, what's happening with him? Do you hear the stories that's happening on campus because of your son? That's exactly what was happening with Jesus. People are like, did you hear your son's hanging out with sinners all the time? Did you hear that they one day broke through a roof and laid down somebody for Jesus to meet him? You know Jesus is forgiving people of their sins? Like, who is this guy? In chapter 3, verse 21, the family heard this. And just a few verses before our story, this is what it says. When his family heard these stories, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he's out of his mind. In other words, his family came not to have a talk with Jesus. They came to seize him, to stop him. You're you're disrespecting the family name. You're going crazy, Jesus. You better stop. So Jesus, he doesn't talk to his family because he knew the motivation. They wanted to stop his ministry. But not only that, there's another reason we see why Jesus doesn't talk to his family. And it's a pretty bold reason. In verses 34 and 35, look what it says. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said... Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Imagine after service today, we go to the source and you're sitting down eating lunch with your friends. And I'm walking carrying a tray of food. And you go, Tom, you're here? Sit down, join us for lunch. I'm like, okay. And I sit down with you. And my wife and my kids are also carrying trays because I came with them. And they're like, Daddy, what are you doing? Come sit with us, you're family. I'm like, here is my family. This is my wife and my kids. Scandalous, right? What kind of dad are you? What kind of husband are you to say something like that? And yet that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is telling them, hey, I know you think you're family out there, but I'm with my family, family. I'm with my family here. This is scandalous in the 21st century. Way more scandalous in the first century where family is everything. Kinship is everything. Blood relationships is everything. And yet right here at this moment, Jesus is shattering this idea of what family is supposed to be. Because Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, to create a new people, to create a new community, and he gives them the title family. Now, to get even more specific, to understand just how radical Jesus is being here, let's look closely at what Jesus is saying, okay? So today... If I were to ask you, who do you expect, whether that person's in your life or not, to be the most close and intimate person in your life? Which relationship in your life do you expect to be the closest, most intimate relationship who you emotionally depend upon? Most of us as modern Americans, what we would say is your spouse, your husband, your wife. We're always looking for that romantic person, right? That's how we think. Ancient world, first century. Hmm, not at all. Back then in Jesus' time, the closest, most intimate relationship that you are supposed to have, whom you emotionally depend upon, it is not your husband, it is not your wife. You know who it is? Your sibling. supposed to be your sibling. Your brother and sister. You know why? Because back then, they didn't marry because they loved each other. That wasn't the main reason why ancient people got married. In the ancient world, when people got married, their families arranged the marriages. The family set them up. It was for tribal purposes, for property purposes. And therefore, where do you find companionship? It's not in your spouse. Nobody expected that. Who did you find companionship from? Your siblings. It's your brother. It's your sister. That's why in the in the Bible, you know, after sin came into the world, you know what the first story was to show how wicked sin was, how devastating sin was? The first story in the Bible to show the consequence of sin was the story of Cain and Abel. Siblings. Brothers. And people reading that was like, oh my gosh, sin is terrible. It broke the brothers apart. Why? Because that is the most intimate relationship in the ancient world. If any of you are familiar with ancient Roman history, you're familiar perhaps with Caesar Augustus and Mark Anthony... And the story of Caesar Augustus and Mark Antony is that Caesar Augustus, he had a sister, her name was Octavia, and they were siblings. And then Octavia, she married Mark Antony and lived with them. Fine marriage during the time, but then all of a sudden, Caesar Augustus and Mark Antony, they went to war and they fought one another. That puts Octavia in a weird situation. It's her brother and yet her husband fighting one another. What's Octavia gonna do? What she did was she left Mark Antony, her husband, And she went and lived with Caesar Augustus. Why? Because that's her brother. And brothers, siblings, was way more important than spouses at that time. Now, when Jesus calls the church a family, he doesn't say, they're like your cousins. They're like your aunts. They're like your uncles who you see once in a while. No, no, what's the word that Jesus uses? in the greek it's adelphoi brother sister this is who the followers of god is they are my brother in fact in the new testament the most frequent word to describe believers it's not christian it's not disciple the most frequent word 139 times they are addressed as adelphoi brothers sisters that's you the church the Apostle Paul, whenever he sees the church fighting, he goes, church, hey, hey, brothers. He always uses the term brothers. Why? Because something about that image is meant to evoke something in the congregation. <laughs> Scott McKnight, he's a scholar, and he describes it like this, quote, words matter. Images shape. Metaphors live. Some preacher types think of their churches as audiences. But Paul constantly called his church siblings. And the constant thinking of them as siblings and calling them sibling, it built a culture of siblingship rather than the culture of an audience. There's a reason why they use brother and sister throughout the New Testament. The Bible is not arguing that your sibling should be the most important person in your life. That's not what the Bible is arguing. But what the Bible is doing is it's using that relationship to make a point. In the New Testament, in the kingdom of God, our spiritual family... Is supposed to be the most important relational bond whom we are to get emotional support from in this church. That's what it's supposed to be. That's how Jesus explains the church. Imagine your life right now. This is a little picture, okay? Imagine this this sphere. Imagine this is your social life. And those spheres are kind of like how close you are to a person. In the outer sphere, people who you're not that close to, your social media friends or whoever it might be, are your acquaintances. People you kind of just see once in a while. You go deeper in, and the next sphere you have are your coworkers. People you see regularly all the time. In the next sphere you get a little bit deeper, you have friends. People who you like and you enjoy and you see you regularly. In the deepest sphere, though, who do we often have? Family. Wife, kids, if you're maybe you're older, or if you're younger, parents, siblings. That's them, right? Where are the people in the church in your life? If this was your social sphere, like where would the people of the church be if you're honest with yourselves? If you're like most people, they would be here. Right? Acquaintances, people you sometimes see, social media friends, or maybe coworkers, people you just have to see every once in a while. A few friends here and there. If you're really lucky, they'll be in that next sphere, right? The friends, if you're really lucky. What Jesus is saying though. What Jesus is saying is but if you really understand the church, the church, the people, they need to be here. Right there. They'll just be right there. Central. Not in the margins. Central in your life. They are not to function as second cousins or aunties or uncles only. But they're meant to be part of the deepest bonds that you experience. Jesus is not saying they replace your family. You still have a family. Jesus is not saying because of the church you neglect your family. We call those cults if you do that. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the church, it reorients your priorities. It reorients it. You know, growing up myself, I grew up in a close-knit family. I had parents. I had siblings. And I don't know about you. I'm not sure if it's an Asian thing. But my entire life revolved around them and their schedule. So for example, when there was a birthday dinner, I was there. I was there. Even when I was in college, I always drove home to celebrate the family's birthday. When there was a family trip, no choice. I went. I would go to the family trip. When they needed help, I made sure I would go and help them. Why? Because my entire life revolved around the priority of my family. But something changed as I got older. Something changed. Not that I became a worse son, or maybe. Maybe. But there's something else happened. I got married. I got kids. In other words, I have a new family now. And here's the thing. It didn't mean I dropped my old family. I would still honor my parents and try to help them. I would still go to their birthdays. I would still make sure that we try to do things together. But a big shift was I had to consider also my other family. We talked now. Hey, you have a birthday dinner that day? Oh, that's great. You know, I can't just drop everything anymore. Judah has soccer practice now. You know, I'd love to go on that trip, but my wife and I, were planning to go on a trip too. So what do we do? In other words, there are different things that I have to keep in mind because it's not just about my mom and my siblings. It's also my wife and my kids. Not that I ignored them. Not that I just ignored them. Not that I replaced them. But now there is something else that is in my life. In a similar way, this is what Jesus is saying. When you follow Jesus... You don't just gain friends, cousins, but you now have a heavenly father, and you now have heavenly siblings, the church, the church, and the people in the church, they are not meant to be at the margins, again, at the center, at the center, and only if the church relates to one another as a family can it function the way Jesus envisioned. I remember... A while ago, I had a friend who said, Hey, I went to that restaurant that your church always talks about. I'm like, Which restaurant? They're like, Oscars, right? People like Oscars Mexican seafood in San Diego. I went there. I was like, Really? How'd you like it? And they're like, It's okay. I don't know what the hype was about. I'm like, Wait, what did you order? Did you get the torta? Did you get the fisherman torta? He's like, What's a torta? I'm like, that's what Oscars is known for. And like, I didn't get a torta. I'm like, oh, how about the spicy shrimp taco? Did you get, the, or the spicy shrimp burrito, did you get that? He's like, I don't know what, you know what that is. And I was like, wait, what did you get? And he explained to me what he got. And that's like all these unknown items. I'm like, what is, what are you talking about? And later I found out, like, oh, he went to a random place called Oscars that just called itself Oscars. And he thought it was the well-known Oscars in San Diego. Very clever by that restaurant calling itself Oscars. And who knows how many people tri- they, they tricked. But I realized, like, wait, if you go to an Oscars with no torta, with no spicy shrimp burrito, you did not really experience Oscars. Jesus is saying something similar. You might have gone to church your whole life. You might think you know the church. You might be disillusioned by the church. But what Jesus is saying is if you've never been to a church where you related to the people like family, where they're central in your life, you don't know what church is. You've never experienced the church at all. You've experienced what my friend experienced, the fake Oscars. You've experienced a fake church that calls itself a church, just like the Oscars calls itself an Oscars, but they don't have the torta. They don't have the Spice Chimp And that's the same thing. The church is not a family. That's not the church. Do you relate to the church this way? Do you see your church as central in that way? It's something that Jesus says we desperately need. And that leads to the second point. Why the world needs a church to be family. Again, think about it. Of all the metaphors Jesus could have used to describe the church, he could have called it a community. He could have called it a hospital. He could have called it a school. But the driving metaphor that Jesus chooses is family. Why? Because there's something unique about family That only the family metaphor could really capture of what Jesus wants the church to do. And here's how it works. At least three things of what happens when the church becomes family and what it does for us. Okay? Here's the first one. When the church functions, not as a school or community, but as a family, it offers uniquely the power to grow us. It can grow you in ways you can't grow when the church is family. Do you know what the main difference is between a community and a family? Here's the main difference. You can't leave family. You can leave a community whenever you want. The family, ah, a little bit harder, right? I meet with a group of pastors, lead pastors regularly. We meet about once a month. And we talk, oh, it's so hard to be a pastor. And we just kind of have that type of meeting. And then uh, what happens, though, is, um, you know, we enjoy our time together. But the moment I get busy... The moment where it's not really being meaningful to me. Or the moment where, oh, my gosh, if I don't like somebody in that group, if there's ever beef, I'm just going to stop going. I'd be like, hey, guys, I'm too busy. Enjoy your lead pastor fellowship. I meet with my mom regularly, too. I meet with my dad. I, I meet with my siblings regularly. And sometimes they annoy me. Sometimes we have beef. Sometimes I'm busy. Whenever there's dinner, I'm there. When there's a family meeting, I still go. Why? Because unless something deeply toxic is happening, you don't just leave family whenever you want to. Here's the problem with the modern church. Most of us approach the church far more like a community than we do a family. We join, everything's great. Once we get too busy, too tired, or if there's beef, we bounce. And then we just kind of look around and see is there anything else out there. But here's the problem. Community doesn't work that way. A real strong community that Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus' community is meant to be a family. And family does something that's really unique, which is family grows you. In ways you just cannot grow. And here's why. Uh, there's a, as an author, his name is Gene Veneer, and he says in community, which I've shared this with the church before, there's always three stages of community. Any community you grow. You go to community, the first stage is honeymoon. It's great. You love the people. You love the church. Everyone's so welcoming. Wonderful. I want to join this church. I want to join this community. Then comes the inevitable second stage, which is conflict. You meet people. You go, they're not that great. They're kind of messed up, actually. Wait, how come our church doesn't do this? Why doesn't our church do this? And this is the place where most of us bounce. This is the place where most of us go, ah, I don't want to be here anymore. But we miss the third stage, which happens in every community. And here's the third stage. Growth. If you could endure the hardship, if you could endure that conflict... What God does is he grows a person. He grows them through that. But that's the problem, is a lot of us, we struggle to stay. We struggle to be connected. And that's why oftentimes we don't find ourselves growing. Joseph Hellerman, he's my seminary professor, he says it like this, quote, persons who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church, they almost invariably grow in self-understanding. They mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to fellow human beings. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay, they also grow. Now, I'm not saying you never leave a church. Trust me, I know there are toxic situations where you have to leave. There are circumstantial situations like work and so forth. I get it. But far too often, we swing on the other side. We at the first sign of discomfort or trouble or busyness. Right before God begins his transforming work in you, We bounce. Because we see the church as transient, but Jesus, he actually says, no, the church is family. You don't just leave your family like that. Because God wants to grow you in a unique way in the church that you can't experience in any other community that you find. The church is family because it has the power to grow. Secondly, when the church functions as family, it offers the unique power to heal. To heal. I got a lot of this from this afternoon, John Mark Comer, but he says something very helpful. He said, you know when Jesus... He uses the term family. Uh, It's kind of ironic. It's kind of a loaded term, and here's why. Our families, that metaphor, is oftentimes, for some of us, the greatest source of security, the greatest source of joy, or for some of us, the greatest source of pain, the greatest source of hurt. Because while some of you, you grew up in a healthy, thriving family, a lot of us, you you grew up in an unhealthy, broken family. And the result is you not only struggle relating to your family, but you struggle relating to just people in general, because there are a lot of things that happen in your family background that was messed up. You know why that happens? I've been getting to this idea of trauma a lot. I've been getting a deep dive into that subject. And one thing that uh, that people say is there's something called attachment theory. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before, but attachment theory is basically the idea that human beings, at the moment of birth, you were designed for relationships. You are designed to be attached to people. For example, I watch animal shows all the time, okay. If you ever watch an animal show and you see animals giving birth, the animals, they come out of the, the mother's womb and they're just lying there. Just like mouth open, but just lying there. And the mother just licks the animal and that's it. Have you ever seen a real baby come out, a human baby? They're not just like lying there. They're like screaming at the top of their lungs as if, pay attention to me. They need milk right away. They keep screaming. And here's the kicker. The main thing they need is what they call skin-to-skin. The mom and the dad have to hold the baby skin-to-skin. Why? Human beings, we are designed to attach to people. From birth. We are social creatures. We need people. We are like Velcro. We just need to stick on somebody. But here's the problem. What happens when your caretaker does not attach to you well? What happens when your caretaker, they neglect you? You experience abuse. What happens is whatever you were, your post-it note, your stickiness, it becomes less sticky because the person wasn't sticking to you well. And it's just hard to attach to people now because you've been kind of messed up from your background. If you grew up in a situation like that, what do you do? You You can't recover that. How do you experience healing from this? There's a book by this doctor named James Penbaker. It's called Opening Up. And he did this nationwide research on the long-term effects of trauma. And pretty much this was his question. He asked, why do some adults recover from trauma, and some adults seem to never recover from trauma? What's going on? And so what he decided was he's going to do research, and this was his working hypothesis. The reason why some people don't recover from trauma, it's due to the nature of the trauma. The worse the trauma, probably the harder it is to recover from the trauma. That was his working hypothesis. He did the research with different thousands of different patients. He came back and he realized the nature of your trauma irrelevant. It has nothing to do with the recovery of people whom he tested. You know what he said was the reason that made people actually get better from their trauma. The key reason people got better is on the other side of trauma was a community of safe, healthy people. That was the deciding factor of what made people recover from their childhood trauma. Not a perfect community, but a healthy community that's there. That was the difference maker. And here's why. We are hurt at the deepest level because of our relationships, but we are also healed at the deepest level through relationships. That's how it works. And this is why the church is designed not just to be an institution that teaches, not just to be a place or an event that worships, but it is designed to be healthy relationships of family because that's what the world needs. That's what you and I need because we're all kind of traumatized. We all have a little bit of broken stickiness in us. And the church, when it functions as a family, it has the power not just to grow you but to heal you. And lastly, when the church functions as a family, it offers this unique power to love. This unique power to love. You know, when Jesus calls the church family, again, he is redefining for us what constitutes us family. Because in the first century, you know when people thought of family, here's what they thought of. The Jewish audience, they thought of another Jew, and they thought of somebody from a patrilineal lineage, lineage, their parents' line, their father in particular. In other words, The way that they thought of it is, oh, if you're part of the blood of your father, your family. And that's why, back then, if you were a woman and you didn't get married, or if you were a woman and you got widowed, or if you were an orphan, you are in big trouble. Because back then, your wife, she, if I married somebody, she does not get my parents' inheritance if I died, because she's not blood. That's not her family, she's destitute. If you're a widow, that doesn't matter. You're you're destitute. You're in trouble. You don't know what to do because that's what the family is supposed to function as. So difficult back then. You know, not much has changed today. Not that much has changed today. When we think of family, you know what we think of? When you think of family, the image a lot of us think of, again, if you're younger, mom, sibling. If you're a little bit older, you might think spouse, kids. And that's why we chase after that because we think this is the place where you could find The greatest sense of love, the greatest sense of security is family. Wife, husband, or kids, that's the source. That's what you aim for. That's the unique love that you can only experience through the nuclear family. And this is great. This is great if you're married. This is great if you have kids. What happens if it doesn't happen to you? What happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if you're single and you're in your 20s and you go, I'll find love one day. I'll experience that unique family. In your 30s, you're like, yeah, one day. You're in your 40s. You're in your 50s. What happens to you? Sucks for you. Sucks for you. You missed out on love. You missed out on that. Sucks for you. What happens if you do get married? You find somebody, you get married, and you realize this marriage is broken. My marriage is messed up. I have a dysfunctional relationship with my household. Sucks for you. You had your shot and you screwed it up. Sucks for you. What happens if you get married but you're divorced? Or you get, or become a widow. Your spouse passes away. Or you can't have kids, even though you really want them. Sucks for you. You missed out. You had it for a while. You missed out. What happens when your parents pass away? When your parents pass away, a sibling passes away. Sucks for you. It sucks for you. That's unfortunate. You missed out. You had it, but you missed out. And the world, it's filled with all kinds of people like this. We all come from situations like this. All kinds of relationally unfulfilled moments, people, broken relationships. And that's why Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world to die on behalf of a people where if you believe in him, something happens called adoption, where you now have a heavenly father, when you place your trust in his heavenly son, Jesus Christ, and you now can experience family love in a way that perhaps you've never experienced or that you once lost through the family of God, his church. That's in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, not in heaven, right now, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands. He's thinking of the church. The church is meant to be that place where for those of you who are struggling in those areas, who don't have that type of love in your life, this is what the church is supposed to be for you. And historically, that's what the church is known for. All the widows in the first century, where do you go to if you're destitute? The church. The church. If you're single, all the singles, the church was known as a haven for singles who took care of one another. For all the orphans, the church was known as that place for people to go to. Why? Not because they were amazing at their teaching. Not because they were amazingly great programs. Because of the family. The church was family. The church acted like a family. Is this what the church is known for today? Is this what our church is known for Can you say with confidence, if you lost a loved one, that this place is going to minister to you and be that family for you? Can you say with confidence, if a married couple lost their spouse and became a widow, that here in this place, in this church, they will experience the family here? I don't know about you, but oftentimes it's discouraging where I see the opposite happen. I see the church as a place, as the last place singles go to, Singles, as they get older, the church becomes less and less safe. It's the last place where if couples get a divorce that they want to stay, there's too much shame for them where they struggle to be here. Or if the couple passes away, they go see therapy. Or if a married couple is struggling, they see a therapist, not the church. Because the problem is the church, we far too often function more like a social event. Far too often acquaintances. But what people need is family. We need family Our church right now, we're young and we're pretty fortunate. We've experienced way more weddings and way more baby showers than we have funerals. We have yet to have a funeral in the church for a member. But there will be a season where funerals will come. There will be a season where marriages are crumbling. There will be a season where children get sick in our church. And when that happens, you don't need us to be a social event. You don't need us to be fun. You need us to be family. And it starts now. It starts now. Wesley Hill, he was a, he's an author, and he is somebody who was single his whole life. And it was so hard for him to just be a, be a faithful Christian. And he said the only thing that made it work, the only thing that made me feel subhuman in today's modern culture that prioritizes marriage like this, it was the church. It was people who walked alongside of me, who made me feel like even though I never found a spouse, I missed nothing because the love that the church gave to me, it was a family love for him. Can we be a church like that? Is it possible for us to be a church like that? Wouldn't you want us to be a church like that? How do we do it? And that leads to the last point, the last point. How can we live out this vision? So how do we do this? How do we become a family? Do we all live together? Should we all live in the same community? Uh, Should we celebrate each other's birthdays? Whenever it's someone's birthday, we all eat dinner together? Do we travel, go on vacation together? Ah, Maybe. Uh, I don't know how realistic that is for a church our size. Uh, Different churches, different families. Uh, And I want to share practices a little more specifically next week. But let me just offer three general, broad principles. To even begin to get off the launching pad to be a church family, three principles, three broad strokes for us to consider. Number one, to live out the vision of Jesus' family, we must prioritize. We have to prioritize. If the church is family, we must prioritize the church in our lives. All of us grew up in families, and you could tell when it's healthy or when it's unhealthy. Imagine for me, I have a spouse, my wife, my kids. Imagine you ask me, oh, how's life with them? I go, oh, I don't really know how things are, because I barely spend time with them. I never eat with them. I don't really talk to them. I'm having a third? Oh, my gosh, i having a third kid? I didn't know that. Amazing. You would think, what's wrong with you? Why don't you know your family that well? If I told you, it's because, I'm, you know, being a pastor is really busy. It's so busy, I just don't have time to see them. Or, you know, I've been so stressed out of life. It's been really hard. You would tell me that, hey, as much as that's understandable, that's your family. That's your family. In a similar way, if you're part of a local church, Jesus says, hey, you have a family. Doesn't mean you're a good family member or not, but doesn't change the fact that you have a family. And when you realize you have a family, that shifts the priorities in our lives. Daryl Dash, he's an author, he says it like this, quote, when we understand that the local church is a family of brothers and sisters, we'll make it a priority in our lives. We won't settle for only attending worship services when it's convenient, nor will we approach church with a consumer mindset. We'll dig into the messiness of local church life, opening up our lives to our new spiritual family. Is the church a priority in your life? can't be a family unless that first shifts. Secondly, expectations. If we know the church is family, we need to have healthy expectations of the church. Because oftentimes, that's a big problem. Um, think about your family, your, your biological family. You love them, right? How often do you hang out with them? Eh, depends. Depends how much you like them. If you like your siblings a lot, you might hang out with them a lot. If you don't like your siblings that much, you don't naturally get along. Eh, a little inconsistent. But no matter what, you spend time with them. Why? You may not like them, but you love them. That's just kind of how it works. Jesus calls the church family. Not expecting us to be the best of friends, but to be like a family. And the problem is we join a church with the exact opposite mindset. A lot of us come to church with the hopes that I hope I find a friend group I hope at this church, I, could, I just need two, two to three people who we click with and we get along with, and then this will be my church. Here's the problem with that. As understandable as that is, that's really hard. You know friendship, it's like lightning in a bottle. You need to find somebody with the good chemistry. You both have a similar life stage. You live near one another, and that's very challenging. If you find friends at the church, oftentimes I say you're lucky. You got lucky because that doesn't happen often. Nor is that something you should expect. Jesus never calls the church. This is meant to be your best friends. This is not supposed to be your friend group. Have friends. Hang out with people all you want. Church is your family, though. The church is your family. This is how we're supposed to understand family. We don't choose who's here. We simply accept the fact that this is my family. I have a third child coming, right? A third daughter. And I have two kids already, and we tell our kids right now, we have, a, we have a third coming, get ready for her. You have no choice, she's coming. You have no choice in the matter, she's going to be your sister. Doesn't matter how much you like her, you're going to love her. And when our third comes, welcome to the world. You have two siblings. Doesn't matter if you don't like them, they're your family. Doesn't matter what happens, you're supposed to love them. We don't choose who our family is. We don't choose who we attach to, but we still love them because they're family. And that's the expectation. We love the family members who God brings. We don't determine who stays, who leaves. This is our family. Don't get me wrong. Please be friends. It's great if you're friends. But that's not the expectation that we come to church. Lastly but not least, motivation. The church is family. You need to have the right motivation to keep at it. To keep being family, you need the right motivation. You know, all this I'm saying, it, it sounds great. Who, again, who wouldn't want a church to be like a family uh, but many of us, you grew up in a church and just <laughs> doesn't feel this way. Maybe you went to a retreat and you felt like a family for a moment, but it's hard to keep up. And I, I understand, for a lot of us, it's just hard. Life gets busy, you naturally feel like tired, you, people hurt you, you just get jaded. I completely understand. And if you keep coming to church just trying to motivate yourself, well, I just need to love people, I just need to care for them, you're going to struggle a lot. Because naturally you come to the church caring about one thing, yourself you want to be comfortable you want to care about those who care for you that's how our hearts operate so what can we do how do we fight this and that's where let's go back to the text one more time remember jesus when he says hey welcome to the family of god who does he say is the family does he just say church he's a little more specific look what it says in verse 35 whoever does the will of god he is my family he is my brother, my sister, my mother. In other words, a family God, it's not people who grew up with Jesus. It's not those who grew up in the church. Yeah, I know who Jesus is. No, no, that's not who the family is. The family God are a group of people who desire to follow God's will. In other words, if you see a church and the people's, at the heart of their life is God and wanting to follow his will, you have a good chance that there's going to be a family there. Because they know that their father is their heavenly father. They want to obey his will. And his will is to love one another as a church. And you have a good chance that the closer they are to the father, the more they're going to want to be close to one another. I have a friend. He has kids. And when I see his kids, I'm like always, I pick them up. I hug them. I go, I'm your Uncle Tom. Love you. Hope you need anything. Let me know. That's the extent of it. Sometimes it's the kid's birthday. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's his birthday. Hope hope they got something good. And that's, I wish I'd send an Instagram, happy birthday to your kid. My brother, I have, a, I have a brother. He has kids, too. When I see him, I go, hey, and I really make sure I hug him. I really make sure, hey, I'm your uncle. When it's his birthday, I give him gifts, and I say happy birthday to him, and I make sure he gets it from me. Why? Not because of the kids. They're both the same. <laughs> they both relationally were kind of the same. It's their parents. The closer I am to somebody the more I'm going to love their kids. The relational closeness I have with my brother causes me to draw near to his son. That's the only way the church is going to function like a family too. The closer we are to the father, where we want to obey his will, the closer we'll be with one another. And if the father is missing, it's just not going to work. It's going to be a club. But if we want to be a family, God the father has to be central and our desire to follow his will. So before we take the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage us with a couple of things. If you're new and you want to know what the church is, you want to know what type of church to go to, as a pastor, let me say, please don't just pay attention to the programs. Please don't just pay attention to the worship style. Pay attention to do these people in this church care about the will of God? Do they care about following God's will? Because if you find a group of people like that, you'll likely find people who want to be family. But if you're a member here, if you're a member of our church, you say, this is my church, and you're going to join us as we relaunch, you know what's going to make our church a legit church in 2022? It's not the new name. It's not having an Instagram account. It's not a new website. It's when our community starts acting like a family. It's when we can say with confidence that this church, it's starting to feel a little bit like family. Then we're going to see God do something through our church. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about what this means and what this looks like. We hope to take steps as well. But before we take the first step, which is the Lord's Supper together, let me pray for us and then we'll prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. Let's all pray.